The title of what I'm sharing with you this morning is the book of Second Peter. The book of Second Peter, this is part two that we are dealing with today. I do encourage you to take notes because we're dealing with a little bit more teaching from the Word, a little bit more in-depth than normal, and we want it to really uh, abide, and we want it to be something that sits in your hearts. And we just thank the Lord for His presence as the Word is ministered. I thank you, Lord, that I will minister under the anointing of the Spirit of God, and I pray that every heart would be prepared. I declare and speak receptive soil in people's hearts so that the seed of the word would go in and find the place where it can begin to grow in Jesus' name. Amen. So last time we began our series on Second Peter, I believe it was a valuable time around the word. So we looked at the first half of chapter one in our previous occasion, and today we're going to look at the second half of chapter one. If you haven't already turned there, please turn there now to Second Peter chapter one. But as you are getting there, uh, finding your place, just a little reminder about Second Peter. It was written about two or three years after First Peter, after that first letter. It's slightly shorter than 1 Peter. 1 Peter had five chapters. 2 Peter is three chapters, a little bit shorter. But it is interesting that Peter wrote this letter shortly before he was going to be martyred. That's serious stuff. And he knew that he would soon die, and he left this letter as a legacy. Now, just to remind you, what are the main differences between the book of 1 Peter and the book of 2 Peter? Well, 1 Peter deals with problems primarily from outside, from outside of the church. Believers in the churches were facing persecution from the world, from the outside. But in 2 Peter, it's slightly different. 2 Peter deals with problems on the inside of the churches that Peter was writing to in Asia Minor because the believers were dealing with false teachers who were spreading false doctrine. And you'll see that as a strong theme in this uh, second epistle of Peter. Before we get into our scripture, I just want to remind you of the four main points that we covered last time. Number one, in terms of the key lessons we learned in our last time, we learned, number one, that God's divine power has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Remember that? So beautiful. Secondly, we learned last time that God has given us great and precious promises. And we take a hold of these promises and they release faith in us and we walk more in the divine nature, which is God's nature. And our nature begins to look more and more like his nature because of the great and precious promises that we're walking in. The third thing we saw last time, it is imperative that we keep on growing as believers in Jesus Christ, that we keep on growing in Christ. The Christian life is not about you stagnating. <laughs> There's no stagnation. You're either going backwards or you're moving forwards. 
And so the Christian life is about growing. And then fourthly, we said, as you diligently follow after Jesus, you will never stumble. That's a beautiful promise. Now, let's get into our passage for today. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 to 21. I'm reading from the New King James Version. And can I have a fraction more volume on my mic, please? It says... For this reason. Now, firstly, what is that reason? It's the reason of the glories that we as God's people will still experience in this life, but in particular to come. For this reason, Peter says, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right. As long as I am in this tent, he talks about his body as a tent. As long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Verse 16, for we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received Jesus from God the Father, honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. By the way, this was not at Jesus' baptism. Verse 18, and we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so, verse 19, we have the prophetic word confirmed which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. The last verse, verse 21. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's our portion of scripture for today. Do you love the word of God? Come on, come on, come on. Do you love the word of God? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, please keep this open. We're going to refer several times. There are three points that I want to share with you today, and I believe it's Essentially three things that encapsulate the verses that we have just written. And the first point I'm going to spend quite a bit more time on than the other points. Point number one, we need to be constantly reminded about biblical truths, even though we may already know them. I want to repeat that. I want to make it very clear. We need to be constantly reminded about biblical truths, even though we may already know them. And 
verse 12, 13, 14, and 15 is basically saying that statement there. In, in distilled down to what it really is, it's saying this. Now, you've got your Bible open. Look at verse 12 to 15 again. It says, for this reason, uh, Peter says, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right. <laughs> as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding, take note of that word, reminding you. Jump to verse 15, moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. So the phrases that stand out for me, did you notice the word reminder in there? The phrases that stand out for me of, are the following, remind you always of these things. The other phrase is, stir you up by reminding you. And the other phrase in verse 15, a reminder of these things. So this is interesting. When someone who's writing an, in, under inspiration of God emphasizes something over and over again, we need to take special note of what is being said. And so three times, Peter mentions that he wants to remind the people about the truths they have already received. And Peter even goes so far as to say, I would be negligent if I did not remind you regularly about these things. I find this very interesting. <laughs> so Peter understood, listen to this, that even well-established Christians need to be regularly reminded of the things they have learned. Now I realize some people only been serving God six or nine months. Some of you have been serving God a lot, lot longer. And even well-established Christians, you need to be reminded. I need to be reminded over and over again. Peter is emphasizing this. I wanna ask you a question. How do you feel about biblical truths being repeated over and over again? How do you feel about that? Think about that for a moment. I'm not sure everybody feels the same way. How do you feel when you're hearing, oh, are we, are we preaching about prayer again? <laughs> How do you feel? Do you get bored? Do you get frustrated? Or maybe, okay, we're talking about trusting in God. It's the whole thing of trusting in God. How do you feel? Uh, okay, now it's a message on salvation. How do you feel about that? Oh yeah, okay, we're preaching today about the Holy Spirit. In your heart, deep down, do you say, oh no, I've heard this so many times before. Or maybe we're talking about faith. How do you respond when you hear that? Do you feel frustrated? Do you get bored? No, instead, folks, we should take delight in having God's word reinforced over and over and over again. We should take delight in it because we love God's word so much. Come on, say amen. We should take delight. Realize this, that we need to be constantly reminded of the things that we have learned. Else, if we're not reminded, there is danger, very real danger, of veering off track. I think of a person, a, a member of this church, a number of years ago, maybe six or seven years ago, I knew this guy quite well, 
And he said the following to me. He said, you know what, John? He says, I just come to church for the worship, not for the preaching, because I've heard it all before. That's what he said. He said, I've heard it all before. He says, there's nothing new, and once you know it, you know it. So I just come for the worship. I thought to myself, golly goodness. <laughs> golly goodness. You know, the apostle Peter would certainly have disagreed with that perspective. And I want to tell you that that person today is sadly out of fellowship. They are not fellowshipping in the body of Christ. I want to be, say to you, be careful to become arrogant about where you think you are in your knowledge of the word. No, 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 just humble your heart. Humble your heart and learn from Peter that said, I need to remind you over and over again. <laughs> I need to remind you so that you don't veer off track. And so the apostle Peter was very clear on this aspect of reminding. You know, I think of my dad. My dad used to say the following, I don't apologize for repetition. <laughs> I like that because, you know, it's like my dad understood what it takes to build a solid church. I remember in my teenage years, my dad took us as a church into a focus of hearing God's voice. And he began to minister on that extensively over and over again. And eventually, he was on that topic for between one year to 18 months. That's a long time. And I think there was a couple of little murmuring saying, oh, we want something fresh. We want something new or something, you know. And, so, and you know what? My dad just carried on. He said, I don't apologize for repetition. But you know what? People began to hear God's voice and to know how to hear God's voice very clearly. And many years later, after my dad had been to the Lord, gone to the Lord, people would say, I never forget Pastor Ed teaching about hearing God's voice. I don't apologize for repetition. That's what he said. Now, think about a coach. What does a coach do or what does a good coach do? This is what a good coach does. A good coach keeps reminding the team about the basics. A good coach is not coming up with far-flung, weird and wonderful ideas all the time. Primarily, there's this constant reminder of the basics. Look for your team, find the gaps, pass the ball like this. This is how you do it. And a good coach is reminding about the basics. And that's what causes a team to succeed. They're reminded about the basics. And so we need to be reminded about the basics. And maybe this is something that you haven't actually thought of too much before. But I wanna encourage you that you open your heart and say, God, it doesn't matter if I've heard it a thousand times. If you want me to hear it again, I will hear it again. And so thank you, Lord, keep reminding me. Let me tell you, a good pastor keeps reminding his flock about the basics. And also, Peter, who was a good leader, he kept on reminding everybody. So there's a strong emphasis of the things being reminded and reminded. And you might say, but why, why? You know what, it's to have it reinforced, but also sometimes as you hear something the next time, God takes it deeper, you discover something else. As you hear the next time, oh, there's a new dimension. Oh, you didn't see this before. I can't tell you how many times I've read a scripture which I've read many times before, and I see things and I think, I don't know if I've ever read this before. <laughs> Come on, anybody with me? And so we need to be open to having it reinforced. Now, Peter is referring to his body as a tent. Would you please say tent? So he's talking about his body as a tent that would soon be packed up. 
Now, what does a tent imply? It implies temporary dwelling because no one lives in a tent all the time. But you know, folks, one day we will have a glorious new building. We will have a glorious new house, a house made by God our heavenly body instead of a tent. And you know what? That body, that heavenly body will last throughout all eternity. Your current body can't handle the glories of heaven, but there is a glorious body coming for you, prepared for all eternity. Praise God. And then you don't have to wash, worry about washing the body and cutting the nails and making yourself look all glam and so on because that body looks awesome all the time. Pretty cool, hey? And so the fact that Peter knew his death was near made him all the more determined to take care of the spiritual well-being of God's people. And in terms of this, I, I just think that, yeah, it's very interesting. He doesn't have much time left, Peter. But what is on his mind? On his mind is not selfishness. On his mind is not what's in it for him. On his mind, as he's got little time left, is the well-being of the people of God. And so that's why he's saying, I'm gonna remind you again. I'm gonna remind you again. I'm gonna remind you again. Now, it is interesting that we see in our passage of Scripture from 2 Peter today that Jesus foretold of Peter's death. That's quite something. And if you look at verse 14 of our text, I hope it's still open there with you. It says, Peter talking about this, he says, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, in other words, I must die, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Wow. Jesus showed Peter that he was gonna die and in fact, how he would die. Where do we find this? I'll just read it to you. John 21, verse 18 to 19, I'm reading from the NIV. So here, Jesus says to Peter, he foretells of Peter's death, Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you, were older, when you are older, you will stretch out your hands, speaking of a picture of crucifixion, someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Wow. And so many years earlier, Jesus had prepared Peter for the kind of death Peter would face, and that was crucifixion. Peter did not know the timing of the death, but he knew that Jesus said he would be old when it takes place. And according to tradition, Peter was crucified upside down at his own request because he didn't want to be crucified in the same way that Jesus was crucified because he felt unworthy to be crucified in that way. Wow. You ask the question, well, why did Jesus foretell of Peter's death? The answer is we don't really know. But actually, this side of heaven, we don't have to know everything. <laughs> and God is perfect in all his ways. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, Still just under this point, verse 15, look there. It says, moreover, I will be careful to ensure 
that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. So what's interesting about Peter is wherever he went, face to face with people, he loved to remind people about the biblical truths. But in addition to that, we see here that Peter was determined to leave a written reminder behind that could be left as a legacy after him, uh, after his death, and that was this letter. And so the wonderful thing is now, through this letter, believers could remind themselves of the biblical truths at any time because this letter would have begun to be spread abroad. But in addition, listen to this, through Peter's writings all together, do you know that believers have been helped and guided for over 19 centuries by the words that Peter wrote down. Praise God, amen. Encouraged, directed for 19 centuries. And so yes, he sure left a written reminder. Listen to what one theologian says about this. He says, the importance of written ministry is clear here. It is the written word that lasts. Though, uh, through the written word, a man's ministry goes on while his body is lying in the grave. And I want to say about this, that there are some of you that I know, you have written a book, or one or two books, as you've walked with God, and God has taught you many things, and, and it's wonderful you to be commended. You've written these things down, and they are this written reminder that even one day when you pass away, they can get passed on. But there might be some of you, God is speaking to you. I really feel this, that there are a book or books that you need to write detailing what God has done in your life because that written word endures, and your grandkids, can read that, your great-grandkids, other people as well. And so I just put that out for, for you to consider. But just to recap this longer point, point number one, we need to be constantly reminded about biblical truths even though we may already know them. Can I get an amen on that? Now, secondly, the apostles did not make up clever stories about Jesus, but they saw his majesty with their own eyes. Now in the next three verses that we're about to look at, 16, 17, and 18, this is in essence what it's saying. It says the apostles, they didn't come up with clever stories, fables, all sorts of stuff, but they were eyewitnesses of Jesus. And it's powerful when you're hearing from somebody who was an eyewitness of Jesus. So look at verse 16 in your Bible. It says, Peter says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Please say eyewitnesses. Say it louder. We were eyewitnesses. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when a voice came uh, to him from the excellent glory. And this is what the voice said. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Now, in terms of these verses, 16 to 18, one of the things I ask is, 
Why was Peter addressing the issue of cunningly devised fables? It's quite simple. Because there were false teachers who were spreading this notion that Peter and the other apostles were telling fables. <laughs> they were spreading this. False teachers were saying, these apostles don't trust them. They're spreading fables. They're spreading myths. This is what's happening. These apostles have concocted all these ideas. They're all made up. And these false teachers were also probably especially trying to undermine things like the incarnation, like the resurrection, and definitely the second coming of our Lord. So they were trying to undermine these things. And by the way, as mentioned earlier, 2 Peter deals extensively with the problem of false teachers who were spreading lies in the church. I want to tell you, if we think that there are no false teachers in the church spreading lies today, we are naive and we are fooling ourselves. Come on, you're too quiet on that. If they were there in Peter's time, chances are they are more abundant, and they actually are, they are more abundant in this day and age. And that's why it's so important that we stay rock solid on the word of God, connected into the body of Christ, so that we will not be swayed in this way or in that way. And so it's so uh, amazing that we need to realize that this aspect of false teachers is something in the last days we need to take a careful look at. But Peter says they were eyewitnesses of Jesus and they were with him on the holy mountain. So what is Peter referring to? He's referring to the transfiguration, which is where Jesus was revealed in divine glory in front of Peter, James, and John. And by the way, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established. And so there were three people, three apostles, to witness the transfiguration of Jesus as a confirmation. Now, uh, would you please turn to Matthew 17? In your Bibles, please go there. I feel it's important to have a look at this. But keep your finger in Second Peter because we will come back there. So let's briefly look at the story of the transfiguration. And see what was taking place because it was referenced very clearly there. So here we go. Matthew 17, verse 1 to 8. It says, now, after six days. Now, please let the story come alive, okay? Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother. John's such a nice name, isn't it? He led them up a high mountain by themselves. And here it says, he was transfigured before them. Wow. His face shone like the sun. And his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Then Peter was so moved. Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Can you just imagine, Peter? God, this is good. We got to camp out here, Lord. <laughs> so he says, Lord, this is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles. 
one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Picture the scene. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. I think we would have probably done the same thing. They fell on their faces, greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, arise and do not be afraid. You know what? There's so many times in the Bible where God appears to people, angels appear to people, and there's fear, and God immediately says, do not be afraid. That's our God. That's the God we serve. He says to you today, do not be afraid. And he touched them and he said, do not be afraid. In the last verse, verse eight, when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but only Jesus. And I think to myself, folks, what an amazing encounter with God. And Peter, James, and John, they were there and they witnessed this. This is the same Peter that is writing to us today. He was there. He saw Jesus in his immense glory. And so they saw these three apostles. They saw the majesty of Jesus with their own eyes. They were eyewitnesses. Say eyewitnesses. But I also love the fact of how Father God spoke this beautiful affirmation over Jesus. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's the heart of the Father, not only to Jesus, but also to us. But back to our text. Now look at verse 16. In verse 16, we see this phrase where Peter speaks about, it says, the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that. The power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this, as I understand it, does not refer to the Lord's return at the end of the age but it actually refers to the transfiguration of which they were eyewitnesses. But having said that, some learned people, some theologians have suggested, listen to this, that the transfiguration when they saw Jesus come like that and the awesome glory of Jesus was actually a divine preview of when Jesus will come at the end of the age. And so they got to see the trailer. They got to see the preview. Isn't that pretty cool, hey? Amazing. And so it was a divine preview, it seems. I find that interesting. And in that sense, Peter saw the coming of the Lord. And maybe that's how we can understand the scripture. In Matthew 16, 28, where Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, there are some of you standing here who shall not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Wow, praise God for that. And so I would submit to you that the apostles had a foretaste of what is to come. And so Peter basically used the story of the transfiguration of Jesus to prove 
that Jesus was indeed the real deal, that the testimony concerning Jesus was reliable and authentic and true, and he was basically saying, it is a fact, it is not a fable. It is a fact, there is no question about it. Give the Lord a hand of praise for that. The same certainty that they had in their hearts, we should have in our hearts. This is not fables and stuff. This is a fact, it's not a fable. There's no question about it. Now, point number three, which is a brief one. Number three, trust in the God-inspired authority of Scripture. Say this out loud with me. Trust in the God-inspired authority of Scripture. So, just to mention this, yes, Peter validated the truth about Jesus and who he was. And he did this by when Peter said that he was an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. So Peter says, it's real, it happened, I was an eyewitness. And that is a powerful confirmation. But folks, there is an even more powerful confirmation that Jesus is the Messiah, namely the Word of God, Scriptures, the Scriptures. Do you know that the written scriptures are even more trustworthy than personal experiences? Yeah, it's wonderful that there were the eyewitness accounts and praise God for that to further verify the things about Jesus. But there's something way above an eyewitness account. It is the spoken and breathed word of God where God says he is the Messiah. Come on, you're too quiet today. And so there was this powerful confirmation and now, Peter is speaking, after speaking about this aspect of being eyewitnesses, now he directs people to the trustworthiness of Scripture. Have a look at verse 20 and 21. It's the last part we will look at of our text today. Verse 20 to 21 in the NIV says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture, would you say the word Scripture? It's talking about scripture and how it comes through prophecy being spoken by God. No prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. Listen to that. But prophets, though human, spoke from God. Are you hearing this? They spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is beautiful. By the way, this is a key verse in the Bible concerning the divine inspiration of Scripture. So, God spoke through the prophets, and they were His channels, so to speak. But I want to make it very clear. It is only God who is the author of Scripture. It originated all from Him. When I think about this aspect of Scripture and the certainty of Scripture and knowing that it is divinely inspired by God, I am concerned about a pastor, a well-known pastor in America. If I was to mention his name to you, probably most of you would know his name. But he recently, publicly, began to call into question the authority of Scripture. It's very sad. 
This is a man, I've, I've read some of his books and so on in the past, and he's questioning this authority of Scripture. And here he's saying, no, 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 you, you don't need to believe the whole Bible. So don't worry about that part. Don't worry about that part. Uh, just focus on the Gospels, and that should be sufficient. But I want to tell you that what he is doing is dangerous. It is a slippery slope. And you know what? He is severely mistaken. And we need to make sure that in these last days, it says even the elect will be deceived. I want to tell you, you need to believe in the truth of the word of God, that you are not in 63 minds about it. You believe what God said. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Come on. And so here this man is saying, no, just, you know, it's just maybe the gospels and, and so on. You know what? All of Scripture is completely trustworthy. You know why? Because God was fully in control of its writing. <laughs> yes, He used human vessels and spoke through them. He even used their personalities and their unique perspective. But it was God who was in control of the writing, completely. And it is God from whom the Scriptures uh, emanated and the entire message is reliable and it says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, it says, all Scripture, would you say all Scripture? <laughs> all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Child of God, we need to believe in the certainty of Scripture. We need to stand firm. Stand firm in the knowledge that the Bible is inspired by God. And so we are living in a time and an age where the authority of Scripture is being severely undermined. The devil is actively at work <laughs> in this regard. He's doing his utmost to promote doubt. He's trying to promote unbelief. And by the way, that is what the devil's plan was all along. He said in the garden, did God really say? <laughs> He'll say to you, is the Bible really inspired? Uh, did this really happen? Did this event really take place? And so it's been severely undermined by the world. The authority of Scripture has been undermined. And the enemy, essentially, he will have two strategies. Either he will promote flat-out unbelief, or he will try a more subtle approach where he will tell you that the Bible is just figurative. It's just figurative. It's a lot of stories and stuff, giving ideas and so on. But you know what? Either way, <laughs> either way of those, it is extremely damaging to our faith. I'm drawing to a close here, folks. And I want to say that here at Choose Life Church, we unashamedly believe in the divine inspiration of the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Unashamedly believe in it. Unashamedly. If ever I tell you otherwise, please kick me out. We believe in the inspired word of God totally and completely. And we unashamedly believe in the literal translation or interpretation of the Bible. It's not just about metaphors and allegories and so on. It is a literal record. It is a literal history record of God and of his dealings with mankind. 
If you believe in the word of God, give him a big hand of praise. Amen.